What's up? Today we are out in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the American Open Series 2. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that a little bit, kind of how this competition's going, how you have to wear masks on the competition stage, and uh, a few other things that happened in the gym this week. And uh, we also have a guest today. We've got George. George is also competing this weekend, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And this is The Open House with James Tatum. Uh, this is a podcast focused around conversations inspired by being in the gym. You know, everything from training methods, technique, massage, and, you know, other odd topics. So if, um, depending on what you're listening to this on, uh, make sure you subscribe, uh, you know, hit the notification button uh, if you want to, leave a review if you really like it. And uh, thank you. So now we are going to get into New Mexico. So first, uh, let me uh, introduce, this is George Everett. And he is on the team, um, the house weightlifting team, and he is a 81 kilo lifter. Hey, how's it going? I'm excited to be in New Mexico. Feeling pretty good. Feeling really healthy and peaked. Coach James did a really good job getting me prepared for this competition. I'm feeling good going into today. Hopefully, I will qualify for the nationals. And yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, we are sharing a mic today. Um, we we flew all the way over to. Uh, New Mexico, and I uh, I like to only keep uh, my check-in bag, and uh, so I've got this little tiny mic in here, so we're both kind of like huddled up right next to this mic in our hotel room. Um, we've got the air conditioner off, so it's about to get hot in here, so that'll be a, that'll be a fun podcast for sure. Um, yeah, so today, uh, what are you, you're lifting at, uh, you know, when this podcast comes out, you will have already lifted, but uh, you're lifting today at what, 8, eight o'clock? Yeah, I'm lifting at 8 p.m. tonight, New Mexico time, in the 81-kilogram A session. And it's going to be a fun fun, turn, fun turnout. There's a lot of good competitors there. We're all around the same entry total. There's a couple that are a little ahead. So it kind of looks like the podium may be open. I'm showing up to compete, though, not counting on anything. Whatever happens will happen. I'm feeling really good and prepared, so I feel like it will be a good turnout either way. Yeah, so the other thing that makes this – competition interesting is so you're in the a session and uh you know this was a little bit of a bit of my mistake um from the coaching point is you know we were looking at this start list and you know you you're right in the mix and you got everyone right there and it's going to be fun you know just being in that mix but later today and and then i think maybe like saturday night they have the online sessions so there are people lifting at home in the 81s so, you know, you're in the A session, but the people lifting online have an advantage over you because they get to lift second. So, you know, you really just have to set the pace and, you know, just put up the best total that you can. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of interesting because now you got to like look through the start list even more like you were in a B session to kind of see who is going to end up being in these other sessions and kind of how it goes. And, uh, you know, I was, um, I was coaching Carl and we'll talk about how he did. But in the middle of that, like, I didn't realize that. And so I'm kind of shuffling through, like, in between snatches and cleaning jerks, looking at this start list to see who's, you know, coming up in the in the next sessions, um, just to see, like, where he's at and, like, what our strategy should be. Uh, and it turned out that Carl had Hampton Morris competing on Sunday night. So we uh, we have to wait till Sunday to actually find out how he did. But uh, but you, you also have a few people in your weight class. So... Uh, you know, again, that's just something that we're going to have to do and adapt. Um, 
and that comes around to like masks on the competition stage when you're uh when you got something come up in in sport you know like they're mandating you to wear masks in new mexico uh on the competition stage in the warm-up stage even even though like the competition stage is three meters by three meters so that's like what is that like 13 feet by 13 feet and then the judges are you know that same distance away again away from you and those are the closest people so no one is around you and you still have to wear a mask on the stage uh you know you can argue about you know how stupid that is and blah 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 but in the end you know as an athlete you just have to adapt and be like all right this is the situation i'm gonna do it so how are you how are you feeling about that i know uh honestly with the um as far as the in-person and online meet goes I kind of feel like they should have did the online separate from the actual in-person. So if you're going to show up and do the in-person, you compete against the people in person. And then they determine there who wins and goes on the podium. And then the online competition would be a separate a separate podium. Just simply because when you're actually competing in person and not your home field, I feel like it adds a little bit more stress, a little bit more, makes you a little bit more anxious. You know, it could, you could add a totally different day if you're lifting in front of actual judges and not in your garage or your actual home gym. So kind of kind of don't agree with it, but it is what it is. We'll overcome it. And then as far as masks goes, I truly feel the same way. Like there's plenty of space, plenty of social distancing. Maybe in the back while you're warming up, you could wear the mask. And then once you get on the competition stage, you could take it off. But that's not the case. So I feel like if you're an athlete, you probably should have started preparing about two weeks out when you start your taper with the mask on just so you can get comfortable with taking reps with the mask and getting used to the mask, learning how to breathe with the mask. Just get more comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, if you showed up and you're you're peaked and ready, the mask isn't going to really play that big of a role in you making your lift or missing your lift. Yeah, I, I think that's a, you know that's the right mindset to have when you're going into it. Um, do, do you feel like it's a... So I will say that it's a, it's not USA weightlifting. This is like the Albuquerque you know mandate. They're kind of requiring USA weightlifting. I think USA weightlifting actually tried to like, uh, see if they would allow us to have like a, a sport exemption. Um, like they allowed at, uh, I think in Detroit, they had a sport exemption where you could not wear it on the competition stage. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So what I was getting at is, uh, how do you feel as far as like, uh, like safety or anything? You have, you feel like, um, unsafe lifting up there with a mask or anything? Personally, I don't feel unsafe with the mask. I feel like I, pre- I get pretty good airflow with the mask. As long as you're not wearing like a, um, a heavy cloth mask, it really shouldn't bother you. If you're wearing like a surgical mask or like one of the masks they give you when you're going to like a convenience store or something, you should be pretty good. It gets pretty good airflow. It's not really restrictive. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, um, kind of figuring out. So it seems like that's just another thing that people are, you know, starting to add into their training. Just one more thing. And, uh, you know, you got to learn how to uh, adapt and overcome. And uh, I think uh, I think you're on the right path with that. So that'll be good. Um, yeah, because I think, um, you know, Carl actually had one of those thicker cloth masks. Oh, I don't know if it's like cloth, but it seemed like like neoprene-ish type thing. Um, they're a little bit like, uh, I don't know, form-fitted, a little bit thicker, but still kind of light. Maybe maybe not full cloth. And uh, and he did good. So I'll talk about how he did in his competition. Um, so he's a 61, and he was in the A session. And you know, you were talking about like having online and uh uh in person separate you know at least i think the online should have been done first 
so like so that the online was like a B session because it really isn't as prestigious. You know, you got to preserve the integrity of the A session because really, if somebody's lifting after the A session, it's not an A session anymore. That's a, you know, you're putting your prime focus on an online thing you know and that's uh, that's a little bit weird so maybe like even like the day before the competition they should have ran all of the online people because they have more flexibility with their schedule like you can lift online on a wednesday night but if you got to fly out to albuquerque and you got somebody lifting wednesday and sunday that's another you know a couple hundred dollars you have to spend for someone that's going to stay in a new city you know having them do the all the on- online first and having them kind of be like a b session you know, it kind of preserves the integrity of the A session and it will, uh, you know, allow for, uh, the people that are traveling to the competition to, uh, not spend as much money and spend as much time down on the, uh, you know, in that host city. So Carl, he, uh, he's 61 A session. He's also a master's 35, uh, master's 35 class. And he is, uh, he opened up at 80 kilos in a snatch and missed it, uh, kind of overpulled it. Um, and then he, then he came back, made it, and then made 83. And, you know, as far as, like, how things go in a competition, his, his session kind of went perfectly. You know, he was at the right spot to, like, kind of battle back and forth and push people to go heavier, as well as, you know, setting himself up to make lifts. So he... Uh, he finished uh, 83 in the snatch, and that put him at second in the Masters 35. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things where I was kind of figuring this out as I was going. So the Masters 35, they can win in Masters. And so the scoreboard has the Masters listed and, like, the placement of Masters. And it excludes them from the senior level. Uh, so, like, if you're a senior lifter and... You're, you know, the scoreboard says you're second, but a master's lifter has snatched more than you. You're not actually second. You're third because the the master's lifter is not listed on that uh, on that scoreboard. So there's kind of a, a few like little, you know, a logistical things that they uh, they kind of got messed up here with their uh, with their scoreboard and like having masters in there. So you know, I didn't really figure that out until halfway through the snatches, and then after that. You know, then we started like, all right, let's start using this to our advantage because maybe these other people don't know that they're competing against him because he's a master's. Uh, so then we really started like kind of going back and forth. And this was a lot of fun for me because we uh, we could kind of like push some stuff and, you know, make some people uh, play around with clocks. And uh, this is this is where it really got kind of fun. I was telling uh, I was telling George this story a little bit ago about uh there was a coach there with us and we were sharing the same warm-up platform and they were opening up two kilos heavier than George and they were a senior lifter and they, uh, they opened up on their clean and jerk at one Oh two George opened up at a hundred. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at George and I'm, uh, I'm saying George, but Carl opened up at a hundred. And then this other guy, uh, he opened up at one Oh two and, uh, so George, they are, damn it. I go, I say it again. <laughs> Uh, Carl opened up at 100, made it. Uh, this other guy opens up at 102 and misses it. Uh, I had moved Carl, yeah, there we go, I'm getting it now, to uh, 102. And then this guy missed 102. And then the clock goes to Carl and us. 
And I, uh, I wait till it gets to us, and then I move up to 105. And then I just stole their clock. Uh, and these are the people that are warming up with us, and you know they're they're being really nice. You know they're helping us load the bar and all that stuff. And I am uh, I'm the one being a dick, and I stole their uh, their two minute clock. So now this guy, this kid, just missed his opening attempt, and he has to go out there and make 102. You know, I will say he did make uh, he did make it on his second attempt, but uh, I did not feel bad about taking his clock away because you know he um, he ended up snatching 85 which was two kilos more than Carl. And uh, he was about to uh, clean and jerk 102, which was two kilos more than Carl. So I was like, all right, this guy's going to like take the lead. I want my guy to win. You know, I don't care how nice they're being. I'm, I got to take the clock. You know, that's part of the strategy of, uh, you know, competition, you know, being a little bit of cutthroat. And um, so the other coach, her name is Brittany. Um, uh, she was super nice. And, Carl is going out for his uh, second attempt, and he makes it at 105. And then there's another Masters 35 lifter there that he has missed 105 twice, and he's coming out for his third attempt. But then this coach, Brittany, she takes the other Masters clock away, and she comes up and asks me, she's like, is it mean for me to take his clock? And you know what? I was like, nope, you should do it. He's like, that's a learning experience for you as a coach. You need to learn how to take people's clocks and be okay with it. And uh, I didn't tell her that I just took her clock, which she probably knew. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then I didn't feel bad. And then she she took this other guy's clock, and then he had to go out there, and he did end up making 105 on his third attempt. But she took his clock away from his uh, on his second attempt so that um, he had to go right back out and take his second attempt really quick that really played in our advantage because you know that took two two attempts uh away from him and so he ended up totaling like i think 190 and uh right now carl was at uh 188 and so uh sorry carl was at 188 and this guy was at 192 or 193 i don't know either way carl had to take 111 for the win so it really set him up well to put the weight that he needed on the bar to win. So, you know, we kind of went back and forth and, you know, that other coach kind of took away Carl's competitors, uh, clock, which really played in our advantage. And, uh, then, uh, then Carl got to go out there on his last attempt and go for one eleven, which, um, is right there at his best. I think his best ever was, uh, is one twelve, And I will say that Carl is, uh, not in shape right now for a competition. So considering, the totals and the numbers that he did hit, he did really well. So we're pretty happy about him, you know, doing those numbers. So he totaled 188, which actually qualifies him for AO finals in um, Colorado coming up at the end of the year. So I'm, I'm hoping he's uh, I, I'm, he's going to be going to that one too, which will be a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, bringing us to that point is, you know, it's it's all right to be a little bit cutthroat. And I think you can't feel bad about it as a coach. Uh, I don't know how many people listening are coaches, but even at local meets, you know, you got to be nice. Yeah. You know, people are learning, but also, you know, at meets, especially even national meets, you have to learn how to maneuver yourself around in competitions, learn how to take away people's clocks. You know, you never know until you actually start doing it. Yeah. You know how it's going to go. So, you know, that's a, that's a point that I like, you know, just having a, 
as a coach, they need to practice taking away clocks. And, you know, you don't have to feel bad about it. You can even like that person and you could take away the clock. You know, it's all good. Did you get to watch any of Carl's session? Yeah, I actually watched some of it uh, while I was in the airport in L.A. on a layover. He actually did pretty well, especially all the circumstances he had. You know, uh, for people that aren't too familiar with the Army world, he tried to go to Ranger School. Well, he actually did go to Ranger School. And Ranger School is pretty physically and mentally demanding. You get sleep deprived. You don't get fed a lot. You do a lot of physical hard tasks. And he came back from that, trained for probably about a week and a half, two weeks, and then came down and competed. So that was pretty impressive for his turnaround. Definitely showed some grit on that one. And especially for all the circumstances, again, he lifted he lifted really, really well. You would have never thought that he actually went to Ranger School right before this competition. Yeah, I imagine that's kind of crazy. So, George, you're also in the, you're in the Army, and you were telling me about this a little bit the other day. So for people that don't know about, like, you know, Ranger School, can you kind of give them, like, a, like a general rundown of, like, what that first week is like just to, like, you know... I, I, I didn't know a lot of this. It was kind of surprising. And I was just like, dang, you know, Carl did good. Yeah, so for that first week of Ranger School, it's called Rap Week. And typically for the first 48 to 72 hours, you don't really sleep at all. You're um, constantly, you could you could only, honestly say it was like hazing in a sense because you're, um, you're having to do a lot of stuff like dump out your bags over and over again, repacking them, doing a lot of burpees, doing a lot of push-ups just random exercises like that calisthenic style then they'll have you go down to an obstacle course and these obstacle courses are they're pretty they're not too physically demanding but they're more mental because they're they're high up in the air and you're sleep deprived so you're at these high levels and you don't really have any sleep or food so it seems a lot higher than it actually is and you're getting smoked in between them smoked is basically burpees um lunges and stuff waiting on your turn to attempt the obstacle then after you get done with the obstacle course, you have a 12-mile ruck event. 12-mile ruck, you have to complete in under three hours. All right, some crazy shit just happened. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, we just had to pause the podcast. Uh, there was a bunch of banging and yelling, open the door. Uh, and uh, the U.S. Marshals uh, interfered with our podcast. Uh <laughs> So uh, we're sitting in this hotel, uh, I, I, it's a motel, so it's got the, um, you know, it's the doors are open to the outside, and our neighbors, uh, you know, we're hearing all this ruckus, and uh, we just have to pause, and uh, so then I, I look outside the window, and uh, here's these U.S. Marshals just banging away at the door at the next door neighbors, um, it was pretty wild, I mean, I mean, you, you took a look there for a while, and I think you even recognized one of the guys. Yeah, it looked like one of the guys was down at the convenience the convenience store in the front office last night trying to buy a Gatorade or something. So maybe he was watching this guy for a little bit. But yeah, that was a pretty crazy experience. I'd never actually witnessed that firsthand. So it was pretty cool to see what they do, like with the bat and ram and everything hitting the door. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, so uh, you know, we're we're sitting there, we're kinda we're kinda eavesdropping from our room and uh you know they uh they get this lady and you know they're like oh, you're going to jail like where is he where is he blah 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 and and there's a kid there too and they're like all right uh and she's like i'll make sure my kid's okay and um uh, so then they uh then they get on the radio and then we're in the middle room and then the next room over we hear him on his own radio saying go check on the kid and so it turns out these u.s marshals are actually probably staying in the room next to us because that's where we heard the radio. So we're like sandwiched in between two rooms 
between this uh, this fugitive. It looks like they got him down there, and the U.S. Marshals. So you know that's a that's a pretty fun. Uh, well, not for them, but pretty interesting thing to happen um, on our trip to Albuquerque. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, the uh, the U.S. Marshals. You just looked them up. Like what? Uh, what? When do they usually get involved? It looks like they assist like um, the local courts and local police and other federal agents and actually tracking down fugitives from what I read because the other agencies get a lot of tasks. So that way the other agencies can be freed up to handle other things. They are slowly just locating fugitives that are on the run and figuring out where they're at and detaining them. Yeah, so that's kind of neat because, you know, now you said you saw one of the U.S. Marshals down there getting breakfast so you know that guy has been staying here kind of scoping things out and then uh you know now it's you know 10 30 on a uh on a friday that they uh we just happened to be here in the hotel and they busted in and, and got him so they got him down there so that's kind of neat uh doesn't happen every day uh it's a fun little aside into our podcast Going back to um, the Ranger School topic. So, yeah, these events are going to be kind of out of order. But, yeah, so the, the 12-mile ruck was was one of the events. Then there's another event where you have to do land nav. Land nav is where you get a compass and a map. And you have to go out into the woods and locate points. They, they give you some grids. You got to plot them on the map and then go find them. Typically, by the time you're done doing that, that's probably like another six, seven miles in between trying to find all the points and getting back. And you have a certain amount of time to find the points as well. And then there's a... um. There's another event, which is the Ranger PT test, which is a five-mile run, 49 push-ups, 58 sit-ups, and you have to do those in less than two minutes, but they're graded to a very strict standard. The Ranger push-ups have their own standard. It's not like your typical Army PT test, so a little bit more demanding. And then there's the um, water survival course where you have to basically walk across this um, like a tight beam, and then um, there's a Ranger tab out in the middle, and there's like a rope, and it's kind of probably about... I don't know if it's the exact height, but probably about 50 feet above a pond. You have to tap the ranger tab and yell ranger and hop in and then swim. Probably about 50 to 100 meters to the shore. And then once you're done with that, you have to lunge back to where, um, basically where you sleep and where all your gear's at. You have to lunge all the way back. It's about two miles worth of lunges. So yeah, that's just week one. There's some events that I left out and they're not necessarily in the correct order, but this gives you an idea of what Carl just went through and then came out and then performed pretty well for going through all that basically almost two weeks beforehand yeah that's wild i mean especially with weightlifting being the almost exact opposite of that you know you want to be uh you want to be fast and explosive you want to be uh you know strong and fresh and that's like uh the complete opposite you're you're strong you know in uh probably kept some of the strength but your speed probably went way down so you know all things considered uh, you know, he really stepped up and uh, competed well and uh, got some medals. So we got to wait until, uh, you know, I think I might have said this. I got a little bit distracted by those uh, marshals, but uh, we have to wait until Hampton. Uh, and then there's like two other 61s compete before we actually find out if he also got a senior medal. Because right now he's sitting in second place overall in the clean and jerk. So he, you know, everybody bombs out. He gets a silver medal. Uh, if two people lift less than him, which they're right there, like one of the guys' entry total is 190, uh, and then the other ones is like um, 175 or something. So it's very possible that he could 
come away, even with all of them not bombing out, and come out with a uh, a bronze medal. Uh, because you know if uh, if Hampton Morris makes a clean and jerk, I just gotta say you know you're you're kind of stuck. He's gonna be opening up at like 145 or something, and just doing that online competition. But other than that, uh, as of right now, that's it's really only been one day, and now we're halfway. We're not even halfway through the second day of uh, AO2 at the time of recording, um, and we haven't even been over there yet. Uh, is there a what a I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on uh, what it's like over there in the uh, the competition stage, or you know what your expectations were, and kind of what surprised you about being in a uh, you know the the national stage. Yeah, so this is actually my uh, first national event, and um, you know I was a little anxious, a little nervous at first, and then last night I flew in and we went down there and we trained a little bit, worked up to probably around 50, 60%, nothing crazy. And it felt good to get the blood flowing, get loose, and then got to see a couple familiar faces. So that helped ease me a little bit too, help the anxiety go down a little bit. I wouldn't necessarily say anxiety. It was probably just excitement and nervousness, not really knowing what to expect because I'd never been in an environment like this before. But yeah, I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to getting on the competition stage. It doesn't look as um, frightful as I thought after seeing how far the judge is and then how small the crowd actually will be because of COVID restrictions. It probably won't be anything that's too crazy. And then a lot of other times, like I've done some local meets. Once I get up on the platform, I tend to just um, get into a zone to where I don't really see anything besides the barbell. So hopefully it's the same thing at this national meet. And then I'll just get in the zone, grip it and send it and it'll work out for me. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that's exactly what's going to happen. You know, you get in the stage. It's just like when you're in training. Just take it in one lift at a time. Yeah, you know what I found interesting is, uh, you know, I've been in the sport for a while, and, you know, I, I'm running into a few people. Like, I think I ran into uh, Billy Bybee, uh, who runs uh, Las Vegas Barbell, uh, and I met him back in, like, 2011 or 2012 or something. So I'm seeing some of these people that I've known for a long time, um, but they're few and far in between. Like, most of these people at this competition, I do not know. And, you know, I see some of them. I'm not... I'm not a huge, like, I don't follow everybody in weightlifting on social media. So I'm a little bit out of the loop. So I'm kind of seeing some of these random people. I'm like, oh, hey, that person's lifting a lot of weight. I've never seen them before. Uh, so that, you know, that's one respect that's kind of cool. And then the other thing is just like, wow, this sport has grown so much that I don't even recognize a lot of these people. We did see a few people and like, I even asked George, I was like, oh, is that the, is that that person that you guys sent me that video in the chat about uh, like there was a girl that just did a squat jerk of like 120 uh, and a lightweight girl. And, uh, so it was kind of neat. It's just like, wow, I've never met that person. I've been in this weight in this sport for a while. So it's kind of be, uh, going to be kind of neat now that there's going to be more competitions, you know, the COVID lockdowns are down, you know, start that community and start meeting some of these, uh, new people in weightlifting. Uh, and when I say meet people, like meet people in person, uh, I definitely enjoy meeting, people in person more so than just like conversations online. It's just a, just a little bit different, but, uh, and then speaking of like the progress of the sport, the, like the youth were lifting a lot at this competition. And you look on the stage, of course the stage is big and then you see the youth and they look, he's just tiny. There was a lot of kids lifting and that was kind of really cool to see. Cause it used to be, you know, maybe one or two kids, uh, if that, and now there's just like, there's a lot of kids up there and you wouldn't see them at national meets like that. They would only be at youth nationals. 
And now even at this competition, you know, they had the 10 kilo bars in the back on the platforms. You know, each platform had a 20 kilo, 15, and a 10 kilo bar. And the, uh, the warm-up platforms had uh, 5 kilo plates. So 5 kilo plates that are uh, the height of a, uh, you know, a full, like a 10 kilo plate or a 25 kilo plate. So that was kind of neat that they're really kind of set up to, uh, you know, host these youth lifters and how much they're lifting. And then that kind of brought us to uh, a few things about, like, you know, the, the youth weightlifting and progressing in youth. Tim Swords posted something on his Facebook. Uh, so Tim Swords, his uh, his Facebook got hacked, so you can't look at Tim Swords anymore. you got to look up Timothy Swords. Uh, and then he runs his uh, garage project uh, out in Texas. Uh, definitely worth, like, following him on Facebook. And it doesn't do, like, you know, he's definitely grassroots. Uh, so he doesn't do, like, a like an official... I don't know. You know, you just got to know Tim. Tim is a is a, a Texan, and he's big, and he used to play uh, professional football, uh, and he's just big and strong, and he's not really – he doesn't seem like the person that would be into, like, starting an Instagram or a TikTok. It's just like, you know, it's on his Facebook. So if you want to see that weightlifting, you got to go there. Uh, but he kind of posted something about uh, this, like, um, youth girl that's seven years old that's lifting all this weight. I think she's like trying to clean like 48 kilos and she weighs like 40 kilos. If yeah, somewhere around there, maybe not even not, no, not 40 kilos. Uh, I forget what her body weight is. Her body weight is 30 kilos and she was trying to clean and jerk 48 kilos. And that's a lot of weight. And so we kind of like Tim took a few screenshots and I showed them to you, uh, about her, like where she was missing the clean. And then, uh, then we looked her up on uh, Instagram and kind of saw some of her training. What did, what were your first thoughts about seeing like this, uh, this 30, 30 kilo, eight year old girl lifting this weight. Yeah. Honestly, when he showed me the pictures at first, I was kind of like, wow, this is pretty aggressive. You know, she's pretty young. It may not be sustainable for a long time, but then after getting on her Instagram and, um, going through her feed and seeing her other clean and jerks and some of her snatches, she's actually pretty, uh, pretty sound as far as technique goes. And, um, um, I think one of the cleans that we seen on there was a 45. She, she clean and jerked 45. So, I mean, 48 is not too much more above that. So, I personally feel like her trying to push the envelope wasn't that serious or wasn't that dangerous, in my personal opinion. Yeah, and I could see how, like, I could see how, you know, pushing, you know, it's an 8-year-old. So, in gymnastics, like, they push kids that young pretty hard in gymnastics. You know, they do these big jumps and you know, they get strong. Um, you know, the, the dropout rate of gymnasts is, uh, is one thing to discuss maybe on a separate topic. The actual like physical demands of gymnastics are probably a lot less than weightlifting because weightlifting is just so, uh, controlled and predictable, but you know, cause she probably just made 45 before these attempts at 48 that looked pretty rough as far as like how she was bailing. Um, but again, they were just screenshots and I don't know like enough about this, uh, like the training going into this to make a hundred percent, you know, estimation of the situation or whether or not like I could agree with it a hundred percent, but definitely my first thought is no, like it's, it's just too much. And it's like a, and, and again, I don't have the whole picture cause she does gymnastics, uh, and weightlifting and probably some other stuff, but it really looks like early specialization. It looks like they are specializing in weightlifting early. 
and I see this a lot, and it's um, you get tempted by this like early success in a sport or anything like that, and you're like, oh, they're making progress, like, in, and it's almost like immediate gratification because you're getting this early specialization, but the science so shows that that early specialization just never works out. You either get early, uh, you know, they drop out of the sport early, or they, um, you know, they get burnout, or they just mentally they're like, oh, I don't want to do weightlifting anymore. I'm being forced into this, uh, which isn't the case for everyone. But another high incidence is injury. You just get injured specializing in something too early. And again, I don't know if she's 100% specializing in this uh, because she's also doing gymnastics, which really I'm not a fan of gymnastics beyond the age of like. 10 or 12 because then I think they do you know really get too deep into that specialization of like pushing in competition just because the way the U.S. system set up um, you know that might work well for sport and I don't know I might have a little bit different perspective because um, you know being a parent too and you would think that I would be like really focused on you know progress and you know doing the best in the sport but really one of my main goals is, you know, having a positive attitude in the sport. Because, yeah, no, not everyone's going to be, like, the best in the world or winning nationals or anything like that. But the people that do, like, get to that level, you know, they need to be serious. You know, they need to be, you know, 100% committed. But then at the same time, like, if someone's starting out, they just need to have a positive uh, relationship with sport and with activity. And I think that's more important as a base. And then you have to let that hunger and that drive come naturally on their own. And it just needs to come when it's ready to come. And, you know, that might be at a, you know, that might be at a, at 15 or something. Like it tended to be for uh, like CJ Cummings. Like it looked like he had that drive and he went after it and he did really well. Or it might be later. You know, I didn't... Uh, I don't think I won my first nationals until uh, 2014, so I was 25. Or I, I think I won my first American Open. No, it was nationals in 2015, so I didn't win my first nationals until I was like 26. And I didn't really win my first, um, uh, what's it called, American Open until uh, I was like 25 or so. So it's uh, it, like it kind of came later, and that was like the first big competitions that I kind of participated in too. I didn't do any of these like younger uh, younger ones. I did other sports, and uh, you know, I'm definitely not the best. I'm not the I'm not the CJ Cummings. I didn't make the Olympics. I was I did pretty good, but there was definitely not early specialization in weightlifting. And there was still uh, still progress to be like right up there at the top, like right at that edge. Just you know, a few more percentage points is really what kind of distinguishes you know that, and then the and then the top. So uh, I tend to gravitate more towards not specializing early and uh just having fun and when you see somebody that's uh like that that screenshot of that tim swords took of this girl it looked uncomfortable it looked like a bad position for a person to be in but again it's a screenshot uh i guess i guess my point is i don't think that uh, striving to compete with that girl should be anyone's goal i don't know i don't know if i just kind of went off on a rant and didn't really even take a strong point one way or the other. No, that's a that's a really good perspective to have. Honestly, I feel like after listening to you talk about it, yeah, youth athletes should probably be well-rounded. They should probably try multiple sports just so they can 
you know, build their overall strength, their endurance, their agility, their, um, basically their motor skills in general, all the way around, instead of just trying to do one sport alone and trying to be the best at it. And then, um, also it takes a lot of stress off of it. So the, the youth athlete could actually have more fun doing it as well. Like you were saying. So yeah, that was a good point. Yeah. And the other thing too, is if you try more things, you might actually find out that you're better at a different sport. You know, I used to, uh, used to do wrestling and powerlifting and I was, uh, average, uh, and then I randomly tried weightlifting and I turned out to be a little bit better. You know, what if I never tried a new sport and never found out that I was a little bit better at weightlifting? Yeah. You know, that would, uh, imagine how things would be different going on from that topic, you know, early specialization It's you know, we're, we're over here saying like, don't specialize early, but then at the same time, it is super cool to see all these like kids lifting on this competition stage. And some of them, you know, they got really good technique. Yeah. So the, I guess that should be the point, you know, weight shouldn't really matter until, you know, you know, honestly puberty. So, you know, that's, that's running around like 12 to 13. Uh, and then before that, I, uh, I think you should almost like hold people back because, you know, there's no real reason to push. They can just build up their work capacity, their base, and they do more stuff and that will set them up better for when they, you know, they hit that puberty and then they're ready to, uh, you know, go all out and use those natural hormones to, uh, increase their strength and their uh, performance. But have you, were you able to see any of these kids, uh, lifting at all on the competition stage? We really didn't stay there and watch. Because what, what time did you land? Yeah, I landed around 5 p.m., so I wasn't really there to see any of the youth athletes lift. But um, the social media presence of these youth, at, youth athletes are, is definitely at an all-time high. So just rolling through my feed and looking at certain hashtags, you'll see youth athletes on there all the time. And it's pretty impressive because, um, like you were saying, a lot of them are strictly technique-based. Like their focus is on technique. You don't really see them pushing the load. You'll get a few every now and then where they're trying to push the load too. But I think as long as the technique isn't bad and that they're in optimal positions and it's effective, then they could try to push the envelope if they want to. Or it's personally, I guess it would be the coach's discretion at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I'm going to do a shameless plug. Uh, our gym, uh, House of Weightlifting in Indian Land, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. We just started a youth weightlifting class. Uh, it's from ages six to 12 right now. Uh, eventually we'll be adding in some more, uh, more specific stuff, but right now it's just, uh, it's a small class right now. We're having a one to five, uh, coach to athlete ratio, and we have spots available. If you want your, uh, you know, six to 12 year old to learn the technique, uh, again, right now, like this is all about, it's mostly, you know, just general stuff. You know, we do like drills and stuff to like trick you into learning the right technique and it's fun. And it's mostly about activity. Uh, and then we kind of spend maybe like five or 10 minutes on actually working on technique. And then the kids learn like, uh, they learn, uh, one muscle group a week. And so they're kind of learning their body and they are learning the names for things, uh, which is really valuable. And then they, uh, then they get homework. And like this week's homework was to sit in a squat for a total of one minute per day. So they could do like 15 seconds here, 15 seconds there. And when they're sitting in that squat, they had to push their knees out because some of the kids um, in there, their their knees were kind of collapsing in between their toes. So, you know, that's how we did it. We we made it a game, and they're improving their squat position. And uh, again, there's no load. You know, we do have like a like a five pound barbell and a seven pound barbell. 
really that's pretty much the same thing as no load almost uh it just looks cool for kids um and uh so eventually once they uh, get proficient technique like last week was the first week it was uh, it was week three when they finally did a full snatch from the from the floor to overhead and standing up like so we just take it nice and slow and they're just progressing step by step and then you know after they develop that consistent technique because technique is priority number one for youth you know then uh, then we might kind of move around a little bit and start putting a little bit of weight on there but then again i don't coming from my perspective i would not uh, i would not go to a max out until you know puberty until then i would actually be holding the kids back uh you know actually dan rose um he uh it you know it'd be interesting one day to get some uh get some like father son coaches uh onto the podcast dan rose brought his son to a competition at my gym once uh, i don't remember how old he was he might have been 9 but he literally he went out there uh let's just say his opening attempt was 20 and he hit 20 and he's following himself he gets a 2 minute clock uh automatic increment goes to 21 okay he went out there and he hit 21 automatic increment was 22 you know what he went and he hit 22 and then he did the same thing for cleaning jerks they just took one kilo jumps on the competition stage and uh i think he missed like his his first snatch or something but then after that like he made them all they weren't weights that were particularly challenging he had great technique and uh you know the focus was on competition and you know he still had fun and he did not max out so that's another point your kids can have fun without maxing out all right that's my shameless plug uh come check out our weightlifting class um, coach Seth is, uh, also a middle school teacher and he is kind of helping me a lot with that program. Uh, so me and him are kind of running it and, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Seth is a high school art teacher, so it's kind of cool to, uh, have an artist's perspective in weightlifting. Um, cause there's a little bit of art in there. So I think, uh, I think we're kind of gotten most of our, uh, our topics covered. We had one more topic, um, just because it was a little bit relevant. So Carl, uh, again, Carl, I'm sorry for messing your name up. I'm looking at George. I'm saying George. Carl qualified for uh, AO finals with his total. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of one of our goals here too is, uh, you know, a, a qualifying total is always goal number two. You know, goal number one is to win or to place as high as possible. And then goal number two is to hit a certain qualifying total. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the qualifying total for you and what is the, what are we looking for? Oh yeah, for nationals I need a 274. So I'm looking, I'm looking to hit a 274. That way I can compete in nationals. It'd be my first actual nationals event as well. Like how this is my first American Open event. So I'm going there with laser focus, giving my best shot, um, try to place as high as possible. But at the end of the day, going to the nationals would be be an awesome experience. Yeah, and we were talking about it and. Uh we were saying, all right, let's make this goal very specific. Because first it was like, oh, let's do 270 or above. And, you know, whenever you make specific goals, you tend to reach them. If they're vague, you know, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit harder to do it. So then we just set your secondary goal as 274. Uh, still, like, primary goal is, you know, to place high. And if you need to place high with a 273, we're going to take 273. If you need to, you know, place high with a 275, you know, we're going to take 275 and we're going to skip 274. You know, having your order of your goals in uh, is important, but also having that number being very specific, uh, it helps you make you make you reach that goal. You know, that's, uh, that's just the more specific your goals are, the better. And so after you hit 
you're you know you qualify for you qualify for nationals after that there's not a lot of like numbers that are specific it, it was good for us at muscle driver is because uh we would get different pace scales based on what percentage of uh the average fifth placement of the world's was or something i don't remember exactly what it was um it was super complicated but it like with this complicated math it gave us numbers like oh we hit this number in competition we can make more money a month so that was kind of our goals there and it was similar with usa weightlifting stipend system too but now that stipend system is a little bit different uh and so it kind of took away those specific numbers that you need to hit it kind of took away that that drive to hit that next total but now we found this new list of uh the totals that you need to do to make an international team which is awesome because now you've got this minimum qualifying total to uh you know, qualify for an international meet, so a bronze level event. And I've got some of these numbers up here. And you kind of have to dig a little bit deep to find these. But, for example, for an 81 is, um, you know, 294 is the total that you need to hit to be eligible to go to international meet. Now, that doesn't mean you qualify. That just means you're eligible. So you still have to be ranked high, and it might mean that you have to pay for that event. But now you're eligible to go to an international competition, which is pretty cool. So now you've got that next number to shoot for, you know, for a significance to take that next step. You have a very concrete number to go after, uh, which makes makes it good because then you can set those specific goals. And then when specific goals have uh, meaning behind them, you know, it's uh, it gives you more motivation and drive to go after them. That, that you know that is a uh, that is an interesting thing. That's something that I got out of uh, out of Nick Shaw's book because I just read his and it was like, you know, he had like seven different traits uh, that will help you be successful in you know certain areas. And that was one of those things. It says like, if your why, like, what's your why of doing it? What's the purpose? You know, because purpose will help get you through when your motivation's not there or when you're. Uh, or when you're thinking of giving up on that habit that you created to get there, and you're like, "Oh, why am I even doing this? Why am I, I'm just going to quit?" But if that purpose is there, you know, that's um, it, it makes it, it helps you keep directed on that. So this this number has a purpose behind it. This purpose is to qualify for international competitions, and that's the next step after qualifying for nationals. So it's kind of cool to see these steps. And uh, I really started looking into this again because. Um, Andrew, uh, on our team, he's a 96. He trains out of Colorado. Uh, and he also, uh, coaches up at, uh, pinnacle weightlifting with, uh, Jackie Berube. He just hit a six kilo PR and he hit 145 and 181 is, is that right? I don't know. It, he totaled 321. So what 186 is what he, 145 and 186 is snatch and clean and jerk. Is that right? We're going to have to pull out a calculator. I can't do this type of math in my head. Whatever it ended up being, he had a big clean and jerk PR, and now he's uh, his total is 321. And for the 96s... 140 and 181. 140 and 181. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Okay. For the 96s, he uh, the total that he needs to qualify for international competitions is 319, and he's just hit 321 in competition. Uh, no, in training. So he is right on that edge. So hopefully, you know, he's been on this upswing. Let's get him into a competition and let's have him, uh, let's have him hit that 319 or more. And, uh, you know, maybe plant that seed of being like, all right, you're, I mean, 
you're doing good. You're right there. You can go to international competitions. You can get that USA singlet. You know, hopefully we can uh, start encouraging uh, more and more of our athletes and uh, to get to these international competitions. These are the next numbers that are significant. They're achievable. You know, I don't. I see no no reason why uh, George, you're not going to be there too, fairly soon, and get into one of these uh, these. I think this is the qualification for bronze level events. So that would be like an IWF Grand Prix event or something similar. Uh, Manuel Suarez, uh, which is like the Invitational, is uh, the one in Cuba, I think. I, th- I think that's the Cuban one. Uh, but then you can start traveling internationally. There might be one in the United States. Who knows? And we'll see what the qualification is for the next 2024 Olympics. And we'll just, we'll just assume that there will be one because uh, the IWF kind of delayed... The decision, which means that they're like, all right, we're not going to kick you out now, but we still might. So, you know, we'll keep things with a positive outlook and say they just delayed it. So that's one more step of us, you know, staying in the Olympics. Yeah, I'm hoping to see Andrew make the international team. Um, That way, when it's my turn, I can pick his brain and figure out exactly how it felt, how to prepare and how to get in the best circumstances in order to travel, maybe some fundraising tips stuff like that to help fund the trip so yeah i hope andrew actually actually goes to the competition hits that number and um i think you mentioned also you have to be drug tested for six months as well with that total in order to make the international team so maybe once i start getting closer to that number figuring out that whole procedure as well that way i can already have that box checked at least before the total gets there if that's applicable yeah, that uh so if anyone's looking for that that document, it's uh the document's called USA Weightlifting Selection Process, step by step guide to the selection system, events occurring May first, twenty twenty through May first, twenty twenty four. Good luck finding that on the website. Maybe you just need to Google that exact statement that I said to find this document, because I forget where it's at. And then you can find out all those rules like you need to be in that testing pool for six months and do it in competition and it's got the whole thing uh you really just need to read through it if you're interested or uh you know reach out to us if you have any questions about it maybe i can answer it so that uh that brings us to we're almost at an hour and i think that's a good spot to wrap up we're gonna have to make some lunch and get ready and uh start relaxing a little bit before we head out there to the competition stage so george i appreciate you uh coming on the uh, podcast i really enjoy having uh having guests on here i like the back and forth uh so hopefully we'll have more and more and we'll have george on more often Uh, yeah again thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me coach i truly appreciate it it was a good experience this is my first podcast so don't judge me too hard (laughs) but yeah thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the gym and supporting the team uh it means a lot thank you Yeah, awesome. And a good way to support this podcast is to uh, subscribe and hit the notification buttons, uh, review. Uh, That's going to help us out a lot just to get some more exposure. Uh, So we are finally on Apple Podcasts, and uh, that Apple Podcast is where you can review Spotify. There's no reviews or anything. So uh, I'm still learning all those ins and outs of podcasts, and they're all over the place. But, you know, whatever platform you're listening on, we would appreciate you doing whatever you can do on that platform to make it work. You know, that's a super vague thing to say, but um, that's how it is. Uh, if you're interested in coaching, you know, reach out. Um, we have a few spots available for uh, athletes. And uh, if you just want to, like, uh, support the podcast, go check out our website, jamesstatumusa.com, and uh, you can see kind of what's going on there. All right. Thank you. Bye.